It's Fundamental podcast is brought to you by the Funds Academy, a collaborative project between Munster Technological University and Southeast Technological University. Hello, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us on the It's Fundamental podcast series. Today, we are joined by Patricia Callan. Uh, Patricia is the Head of Sectors and Director for Financial Services Ireland Group at IBEC. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a chat to her about her role in FSI uh, in due course. Uh, prior to uh, being d- director in FSI, she was uh, involved with Drinks Ireland. And then possibly before that again, and maybe where most people may, may have come across uh, Patricia in the past, uh, she was uh, Part of uh, the, she was a director for the Small Firms Association and spent a considerable period of time there. Um, and uh, we'd like again, I suppose, to welcome Patricia and to thank her for her time uh, in giving us uh, this particular podcast interview today. And I guess then maybe just to, to kick t- things off, uh, maybe Patricia, if you could maybe give us a little bit of a flavour of your career movement to date, and then we might get dug into the uh, the details of the the podcast and uh, your role in FSI. Sure. Well, I grew up in Mullingar and from there I went to Trinity to do a degree in economics and I thought that was definitely going to be my future. But then I did a master's in international studies, uh, which brought me to my first job in Limerick uh, because I went to UL. And that was for an organization called IBEC that I had never heard of at the time. And at that time, uh, the regional offices were very much focused on employment law, HR, industrial disputes, the employer representation piece. So I got very interested in that, uh, did a diploma Uh, in that and then uh, went back to Dublin to the Small Firms Association as an advisor for small companies in terms of all of their HR uh, issues and advice. And of course, then uh, having decided to specialise in that front, actually with the range of the job and the companies we were interacting with, I got much more interested again in the policy space and in driving innovative new programmes like creating the SFA National Small Business Awards, uh, doing uh, uh, countless numbers of conferences big, huge enterprise events. Uh, we ran a huge trade show called Enterprise Ireland in, in the RDS before the state agency then asked us whether they could take that name. So so loads of great things there. Uh, and for many years, obviously, that was thriving. Uh, it was really about putting small firms on the map. Uh, and then the recession hit uh, and that was more difficult. Uh, and finance obviously was a huge issue. So most of my expertise in finance that lends itself to this job was gotten from the other side of the offence in terms of discussing uh, at the time of the central bank, the consumer protection code from the perspective of small businesses didn't exist, setting up the credit review office, uh, looking at, at the whole establishment of the SBCI and bringing in other uh, providers into the market uh, and even a, a, a little mission over to Luxembourg to, to get several hundred million for the Irish banks at the time to loan on to, to SMEs. So certainly uh, it was very, very interesting job, interesting times. Uh, and 98% of all firms in the country are still small firms employing less than 50 people. So while it is uh, great to be on the other side of the fence now in many ways, representing very large companies, I'm very, very much conscious of the fact that Ireland only works when everything is in sync. And we do need that balance between Indigenous and multinational. And one of the reasons we're so attractive and we're so good at what we do is because of our our small size and our network and the fact that people can talk to each other become more innovative try things in this market that perhaps they can't do in others um, so being part of IBEC obviously there's a 39 trade associations, so you don't really need to leave the building to do something entirely different uh, so about six years ago I was asked uh, and went for the job of uh, director of drinks Ireland which represents all of the big uh, drinks companies in the country 
now we again in in that we're quite unique we're the only organization in the world where all of the drinks brands so the beer cider wine spirits all sit in the one house and we've had a huge uh, all-island approach because of our three geographic indicators are Irish whiskey poutine and cream but that's probably for another day uh, but I was very happy there for five years and then an opportunity came to move across to Financial Services Ireland and it is very interesting just in terms of the breadth and depth of the job because there are many trade associations following up in Ireland uh, for this sector, but we're the only one that's cross-cutting. So we have everyone in membership from domestic banks, international banks, funds, investment managers. Uh, we have our own aircraft leasing organization within uh, FSI and now increasingly into the fintech area where we're, again, quite often doing joint meetings with our colleagues in Technology Ireland and the Small Firms Association in IBEC networks because people in this new field don't quite fit neatly into one definition or the other. So, so it's been a very interesting transition. Uh, and all along the way, I guess the, the one thing in common is great people, hugely entrepreneurial, hugely innovative and, and love what they do. Very good. Excellent. And I suppose maybe you could give our listeners a kind of a flavour of how you managed that tr- transition yourself, maybe personally from going from, I suppose, initially small firms, then into drinks, but then into something completely different, um, uh, kind of high finance funds, banks and so on. And um, how I suppose you managed that at a personal level. Well, well, I think I should also give a shout out uh, along the way after about 10 years of not having done education, albeit that we're a hugely um, supportive organisation in terms of short programmes of learning and development. I did go back to do uh, the diploma in management in, in now TU Dublin, and that was run through the IBEC Academy, which is IBEC's own uh, training venture. And a lot of the programmes are accredited uh, by, by TU. And I think that was really good at just resetting because, you know, I've been in the Small Firm Association for 11 years. You're sort of, you are always doing new things, but it just opens up your mind that bit more to, to seeing again within uh, our broader organization in IBIC in terms of developing a head of sectors uh, role there. Uh, but also then in terms of the, the happiness, I guess, to, to pivot and to, to move roles. Because fundamentally, all trade associations are about representing business. So the skill is actually in, in the network, in the influencing piece, in the writing policy positions and the evidence-based uh, uh, lobbying that we all do. And I think that that uh, is, is, can be applied anywhere. Most of the people are the same in terms of the elected representative, the civil servants, the European Commission, the, the, the whole structure. And it's just uh, applying that knowledge to a different field. Mm. And obviously you have a great team around you who, who have all that sectoral expertise and that knowledge base. Um, and the engagement of members is critical. So really good trade associations have very strong member engagement because they have an interest in uh, and in financial services in particular, it's dual. One is always about positioning Ireland as being this attractive location for financial services. And we work very closely with government in that regard. Uh, we're unique as a sector. We have our own minister. We have our own action plan. You know, not other sectors don't have that. Hmm. And that's a great focus. And we're currently the secretariat to that for the Industry Advisory Committee. Uh, so I do think, you know, there's a lot of good tools. But then as a trade association or as well, as well it's about delivering service to members, you know, like most you know, businesses, people have to pay us. So that's that range of employment law advisory services, the national policy lobby, 
and then all of the sectoral initiatives as well. That's really interesting to hear about your evolution from one area to another. And I suppose you mentioned the fact that it's one of 39 trade associations. And I think that's interesting for listeners because everybody obviously knows of IBEC, they know of FSI, they might have heard about it in their roles within financial services. But sometimes it's not clear how some of the trade associations fit under the umbrella, etc. So it's really good to kind of get an insight into how that works and that there is a lot of cross-sectoral collaboration between all of the different trade associations. Associations. And I suppose just to delve into your, your current role with FSI, um, could you give us a little bit of an insight into what FSI's primary focus is on a day-to-day and maybe some of FSI's strategic priorities for the coming year in 2023? Well, our board certainly think that it's really important that we are constantly on the front foot in terms of developing our location as a location of choice for financial services. You can't be complacent because whilst we did have a great boon here with the IFSC and the corporation tax rate, which kicked the whole thing off, a lot of the the companies that are now here have a range of choice of locations to go to, many of whom are constantly evolving their competitive proposition. And I think that that's been crystal clear to me is that, you know, it's essentially there's, there's five main things that people really want. One is a good operating environment. So that's like your baseline we really need good regulation. We need our regulator to be efficient uh, and we need them to be strong, but we also need them to be fair and to be very clear that they are applying EU law, for example, in the same way as other jurisdictions are. We would also certainly like to see the central bank have a, a more of a competitiveness mandate. So not necessarily the promotional mandate that the FCA now has in terms of saying, please come here, set up here, but in very much in ensuring that Ireland is open to new entrants and that we seek to create this competition in the marketplace. Uh, And for many uh, of us, that's going to be crucially important. I think also our industry is built on skills, education, investment, and always has been and always will be. And we have a huge, uh, again, program of activity through FSI and the IFS Skillnet, delivering many of those programs bespoke to industry. Yourselves, uh, obviously, uh, in the third level institutions are hugely important. And we really need to be innovative and get on the front foot. And with that in mind, quite often we're looking to see what are the next big things going to be. So the two areas of focus at the moment are sustainable finance and then the digital transformation. So we might refer to it as fintech, but it's beyond the startups. It's also about how all the existing financial services companies are transforming their businesses either in-house or through partnering with these uh, other providers. So we need, need all of these new skills. We don't even quite know what all of this is. We talk about it, but we have, for example, uh, designed the first uh, certificate uh, in sustainable finance for compliance professionals in the past year. And if we do that and get a reputation for that in Ireland, then when big companies around the world are going, well, where are we going to do this new business? Then they are most likely going to choose here. And the other root of everything that we do is around diversity and inclusion. And I think, again, we've been very much to the forefront in recognising that we have now 116,000 people employed in financial services in Ireland. We're a massive sector, great regional spread, highly paid jobs. But it's actually uh, in terms of maintaining our attractiveness, because now we're competing with, example, big tech and all of those nice consumer brands in terms of the types of talent that we're, we now want in, as well as obviously they're trying to poach our risk and compliance people. So we are we, we've seen in other sectors like across medtech, pharma, technology that there's massive convergence across all sectors at different skill levels so we have a program of work now very much around the reputation of the financial services sector which again as a new entrant I, I find it quite shocking that 
uh, financial services is generally still blamed for everything. It's very much the recession, the domestic focus in terms of domestic banks, domestic insurance issues. And it's a really untold story about the sophisticated jobs that exist uh, right around the country in, in the likes of funds. People have a vague notion, but we really need to tell that story better. Uh, I will help us in that war for talent. Uh, but also, if we actually are proactive in terms of diversity and inclusion policies, then we make ourselves an employer of choice. So, so it's about certainly lobbying in terms of the policy position around all of those, but also trying to tangibly deliver uh, for companies through the Women in Finance Charter and, for example, through through the training initiatives that we're backing. So so a mix of all of those. Yeah. And I suppose you've touched on two key areas. We might take them one by one there. Um, the first one, I suppose, is the skills. And obviously, the Funds Academy, our mandate is to improve skills, particularly within the funds industry, but also, I suppose, financial services as a whole, as there are a lot of transferable skills there that can kind of cut across all of the, the sectors. And I suppose, from a Financial Services Ireland perspective, you mentioned there the two key areas of digital transformation and sustainable finance. And one thing that we are constantly on the lookout in terms of promotion among our undergraduates, our postgraduates who are taking our cert and our masters, is where are the jobs? And I suppose that's something that you can see having that bird's eye view of the industry as a whole. What should we be doing in terms of promotion among our undergraduates, in terms of steering them in the, the direction of the most opportunities within financial services? Do you have any insights into that? Yes, last year we did a, a whole, a very detailed uh, report in terms of financial services and the skills of the future. And that work is now feeding into the government's expert group and future skill needs, which we report later this year. Uh, and when we met the minister, Simon Harris, at the time, he was very much uh, about the idea that, well, we need to drive innovation and new programmes and industry really needs to work with third level in terms of getting ahead of these new key areas. So I think that that's going to be critical. But at a more basic level, I do think this is actually an issue about subject choice right back into the schools. And again, my colleagues in MedTech, uh, when they were starting out, no one had a clue what any of the jobs there were. They developed course material to bring careers in that industry in, in, to life and sent that into schools. And I think a similar approach for these more complex uh, areas to understand actually what is it like? Because still the role models are very much around doctors, dentists, teachers, etc. And we haven't really shifted that. And it's it's there for quite often people will say, well, I got here by accident. But most of us have gotten everywhere by accident. Uh, but in funds in particular, like we now have 17,000 people employed uh, in the international financial services, the export bit, that's now 56,000 people overall. And it's growing strongly. So it's it's recession proof almost, although, you know, touch wood here now, mm. um, in, in the sense that we these are jobs that need to be done. And so long as we continue to be competitive as a location to do that and have the talent and the flexibility and attitude, I think, more so than even necessarily the knowledge, uh, they then will continue to, to, to be a greater proposition. But it is very much uh, on the sustainable finance front, one of the the, the, the big people based in the US said to me, well, actually, you may not think you, you may think Ireland doesn't have a strategy around this, but by virtue of the fact that we're the third largest funds domicile in the world, that we 14,000 funds administered from here, 5.2 trillion in assets, it means that actually we're doing this whether we know it or not, yeah. because that work will be done in Ireland. But it's about how we then become more attractive for that into maybe the other aspects, more competitive aspects of financial services. Yeah, and I think 
Um, that's actually speaking our language, John, isn't it? In terms of what we're constantly saying yeah. to undergrads, is, you know, the seventeen thousand number is used a lot in funds, but it's growing. And I think the next time that count is is updated, it'll be larger again, as you said. So it's trying to educate people at a younger age of the opportunities within financial services, as you said. Everyone says, "I want to be a um, insert profession here," but sometimes it's not clear at that young age of the opportunity. So there is that education piece right back to second level. Um, and I suppose the second point you touched earlier in addition to the skills was the diversity and inclusion strategy and we did want to ask you about your role congratulations on recently being appointed chair of women in finance and I suppose we want to kind of hear more from you in terms of how that strategy is going to look um, in terms of increasing diversity within the funds industry as a whole and what tangible steps are being taken to improve that diversity across the industry. Well, I think this is a very important initiative uh, and it's really been the culmination of many years work. It was originally an action out of this action plan for jobs uh, in terms of, of Ireland's overall strategy. And the charter essentially is, is very good in the sense that it makes companies sign up publicly to stated and agreed targets because many companies would say, well, you know, we have all of these objectives, but until you put a metric into a plan, it absolutely focuses the mind. So we launched it last April and the ESRI have been uh, taken on board the data gathering responsibility. So last year we asked companies to supply baseline data. This year would be the first reporting year. And in that first year, we've had 56 companies sign up by the deadline. We've had another four since. Uh, And what they will do then is this eight different layers within the business, right from board, executive directors, middle management, uh, new entrants. And they can choose any of these. It could only be one. It can be all of them. And it can be over any time frame. And they can say, well, we want to get to X or Y. And uh, there's been two issues that really emerged around that is certainly that people really want to be able to sign up. But it is sometimes complex because they're part of global organizations who report globally and to get Ireland only metrics has been a task and then companies that were already far ahead of the game what did they do because you're setting targets for improvement so we worked through that and have agreed that well actually globally 40 percent is the average you know recommended as really good and that therefore if companies are already at 70 percent or 50 percent that therefore if they don't fall back they need 40 percent that they're they're still hitting the targets And in terms of developing over time, we also want this to become very much a learning and development piece in terms of shared best practice, because it's one thing to sign up, but how are you going to get there? So it was interesting over International Women's Day, uh, there was a lot of different events and people are speaking about these issues and the issues of equity versus equality. And and the, the big things that emerged, just the importance of having champions in the workplace and people taking an interest in an individual and looking at what their needs are and how to get them to the next level. Uh, and then obviously formal mentoring, training programs, uh, I, I think definitely in terms of confidence building programs and, and going forward, but also the flexible working so people can take time out when they need to and come back in. Uh, but it is a certainly different companies have different problems. So some companies, for example, one company said to me that their leadership team is entirely 50 percent. Their board is 50 percent. But they're looking at the middle management and going, well, actually, can I see where the next lot are coming through? Whereas for other people, it might be it might, might be entirely different. Uh, and certainly, I think the skill sets, like people said to me, things like portfolio asset managers, because there aren't enough math, female maths graduates to begin with to go the whole way down the line that actually you can set a target all you want, but those skills just don't exist. Uh, And therefore, we need to tackle that problem again, way back up the education spectrum. Okay. Um, And I suppose 
I suppose that's probably something that we would see at an at an educational level as well too. Um, and a lot of what you've just been telling us uh, chimes right down uh, all the way down through the through the system for sure. Um, and it's uh, it's also something that's cropped up on our master's program as well. Um, and uh, I think what really stood out to me is this idea of uh, of champions in in the workplace. Um, and I think that makes a, a a clear difference that if somebody's prepared to champion um, females at all levels throughout the operation and encourage educational opportunities, skills development in a flexible uh, way, uh, I think that's going to have very positive uh, outcomes and very positive results. Um, and uh, I think it's a, it's an excellent initiative, and you're 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 right on the money when it comes to targets and metrics. If it if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done. You know, mm-hmm. um, maybe before we kind of move out, move away from this, can I maybe just circle back to uh, something you mentioned earlier, Patricia? It was uh, you mentioned just more or less nearly in passing that you know we have our own minister for state for financial services, um, Jennifer Carl McNeil. Um, and maybe you could maybe chat a little bit about how important it is that in the, this country we have organised our political system uh, and our government system in such a way that you know financial services has a way in or a, a fairly significant voice at the table and how that helps the development of the industry. It's very significant and I think um, certainly the, the new minister has been very impressive in terms of her approach so far and her interest uh, and obviously this job is, is about you know trying to make Ireland a better place to do business and listening to the companies and, and developing strategies but it's also about being seen so I think that international piece and the piece uh, uh, in terms of the briefings all the ministers have to be fair gone around the world for St. Patrick's Day that that's actually really important that they're on message about all of these great things that we're doing um, and I think what, what I would like to see back is, is pride in financial services. So we had a real, when there was nothing else, this was the industry. Now, it is still a really important industry um, and the breadth of, uh, and depth of the jobs and even the idea back of announcements and, and AI startups, it's all very impressive. But you get the sense that, again, that it's not where it once was. And I think that, again, is something that the minister can very much help us with in terms of that positioning. And that positioning starts, I guess, domestically so that every time that you hear about a scandal uh, and things go wrong and obviously you've got the individual accountability framework uh, but a lot of time it's just human error but that's the idea that people are so disconnected from finance and understanding of finance that they think it's an abstract pension fund that's lost money rather than potentially them because they're not paying attention to what it is and that we're the enemy, the finance is the enemy versus the great enabler. Like in, in terms of that climate transition, nothing can happen. Like, I mean, I before when I was in the drink side, these huge companies were struggling with how they were going to meet their targets. Uh, and the financial system was the problem because government isn't going to back be able to do what's necessary with big business. Uh, and the financial system really needs to catch up and help those companies to, to do that and to be very innovative in how we're doing that. So I do think uh, there is a need for strong leadership. And the minister, uh, when, when our board met with her, was like, well, well, what's the thing? And I think that's a task back to us in the industry to really, again, narrow down, you know, be very specific about what we want across each of these agenda items and then ask the government to support us. But I would also say that the, the Minister of Finance himself is, is meeting our board shortly. And again, he has a very important role to play too and in terms of the discussions he's having. And uh, across into the regulator, I am conscious as well that they're, they, all politicians, you know, the opposition too, it's in terms of how they talk about us and how they talk about the financial services 
impacts all of the people in the sector and the people who are doing great jobs and, and can be demotivating. And I'd ask them potentially to have more respect around that, that it's this legacy piece. It happened. We learn lessons. We move on. But what, what's the future? Hmm. That's actually a very interesting perspective because it's something that um, even in the educational institutions, um, there's maybe a reputation around certain areas of finance, etc. But it's really based on on nothing more than maybe what something somebody's read in the news versus actually speaking to people who are working in industry on the ground. Um, so I think that is important to ensure that there is kind of an accurate reflection of the industry among both those coming in, new entrants, undergrads, but also among the general public. There's definitely um, maybe work to be done there. Um, and I think it's an interesting as well what you mentioned in terms of I suppose the, um, the 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 focus on the the variety of roles and you know the fact that you know sometimes it'll all be kind of shoehorned into one area finance but actually financial services nowadays as well you know um, covers a wide ambit and I suppose people should be aware of the variety of opportunities that exist within the industry and um, before necessarily tarring it with a particular brush based on as you said something that maybe has happened in the past and lessons have been learned etc etc so that's a really, really interesting point. Um, I just wanted, I suppose, to to kind of, we're, we're coming to the end of the session. I feel like we could talk to you about financial services all day. Um, but unfortunately, we don't want to take up much of, as much of your time as we'd like. Um, but I suppose I wanted to touch back to um, what we mentioned earlier about how people um, find themselves in certain industries. And, you know, you said none of us actually studied to be something in the financial services industry. Um, and I think that goes for all of us actually here on this podcast. Um, I studied to be a solicitor. John did accounting before, but not necessarily fund accounting. You know, so that, that and that would be true for many of our, our students that might be listening to this podcast. And I just wanted to touch back on maybe some lessons that you've learned over the course of your career. And, you know, if you could go back and tell your first or second year of college self a lesson that you'd like to have known then that you've maybe picked up along the way and might be a piece of valuable advice to those that are maybe considering entering the industry or indeed any industry and um, that you'd maybe like them to learn from your experience sense of experience along the way uh, what would that be well I think for me it's really about the the value of your network um, and again I came from a regular school in the country as a girl and I came to Dublin and I was really struck by what we would call the boys network the the, the school system that that connection and I remember at the start thinking how artificial that was and that the, you know as, as if it was a construct and then I suddenly realized these people are just friends they're, it's how it's spoken about, but fundamentally, they like each other, they know each other, they trust each other, and they want to do business with each other. And I think everybody should approach every interaction like that. You know, it's very rare that you meet people who put all walls and barriers around you. And that I think it's really important to help people to build your network out and to do things for people that don't necessarily get you anything in return or even an expectation of something return in the future. And therefore, I've always been struck throughout, again, my, my decade plus in the SFA, how connecting people was my single big, biggest asset because I would just meet somebody who needed something and I would know somebody else who could help them out. And I think that's actually what Ireland is all about and, and why people love to do business here. So I think, you know, being really protective of your network, expanding it all the time and being genuinely nice to people uh, uh, in, without an expectation of return is 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 
rules for a living, never mind business. <laughs> That's actually a very good piece of advice, I think, John, isn't it? And I think, you know, I suppose in a world where people uh, seem to be obsessed with, I suppose, their projection of um, success and, you know, there's always almost um, an insinuation of people, you know, networking in a way that's false. I think you're right. You know, students need to understand that actually the opportunities to just meet people by showing up at events, um, you never know who you're going to meet and not necessarily doing it within agenda can can actually be worth its weight in gold in terms of you know meeting someone that might be somebody you work for in future or indeed um you know we're constantly talking to students about the importance of an entrepreneurial mindset so you never know where the next opportunity is going to come from somebody you meet at an event or whatnot so I think that's actually very good advice John isn't it for anybody listening oh yes yeah, so really I mean and I think it's something I suppose that you know, when you start out in your career, yeah. that might not be something that might be very, uh, very, I suppose, right on top of your agenda. Because normally when people start out in their careers, they're worried about how do I you know, do this particular part of the job, the technical aspect of the job, when maybe it's the softer aspects. And that's, part, you know, that's what all the research tells us. It's the softer aspects of most roles that are really key in, mm. in carrying out that particular role. And there ain't no, there's, there's nothing softer, I suppose, than, than networking, that ability to get on with people um, and to, you know, to, uh, I suppose, to use your, your network and expand your network and develop the network, but not, you know, just just to make friends with people. Mm-hmm. And it does pay back over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I know that our, our, our master, any of our master's students listening, they had their on-site week and uh, they were sent off at the end of one of their classes to go for a coffee with one another and it's go, go and practice your collaborative mindset <laughs> on the break. <laughs> and that's not something that's necessarily taught in the classroom, but chatting to your, your peers is, is, is as important as any of the technical skills you can pick up, but mm. no, for sure. Um, well, thank you so, so much, Patricia. It's been so interesting speaking to you. I think we've learned an awful lot about FSI, um, the strategic priorities in terms terms of putting our best foot forward on an international stage um, to illustrate the opportunities that exist within this thriving industry here. And um, we really enjoyed hearing about how you came from a variety of backgrounds and have applied your valuable skills to financial services because that will apply to many, many people who maybe aren't even in financial services now, but may be looking at getting into one of the many opportunities that exist. So um, absolutely practical advice for anybody who's listening. So thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Patricia. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Just to note that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily the views of either MTU or SETU and nothing discussed on this programme constitutes financial advice. If you've enjoyed listening to us and you'd like to learn more about the Funds Academy activities, please feel free to visit us at fundsacademy.ie or indeed you can reach out to either of the hosts, Ashing O'Mahony or John Casey via the contact link there. Thank you.